you know, any of you that know me, that were like good friends, you probably know this about me. I've never been accused of being passionate about details. Like, that's not really the way that um, I roll. You know, uh, in our family, um, I'm the guy that gets excited about the big, big picture. My wife, Sydney, is the one that gets excited about dotting the I's and crossing the T's and making sure we get there. And so I've always kind of been the guy that loves the forest and I forget the trees. And that's just the way that God has wired me. And so I remember when I was in middle school, our family, we had just moved uh, to a new city, 600 miles from where we'd just been. So it was a new city, a new school, a new neighborhood, a new church, and a new friend group. And uh, those of you that are in middle school, you know what a kind of a weird season of life that can be, how tough it can be at times. Those of you that have been through middle school, you probably remember back on some of the challenges. But I remember finding myself as a middle schooler in this new city, new place, new neighborhood, trying to make new friends. And for a couple of months, it just felt unbelievably awkward. I didn't know what way was up, which way was down, and how I was going to do that. And so uh, one weekend we're there at this new church that we're a part of, and I get an invitation from one of the kids in the youth group, just an awesome, awesome kid in the group, and said, hey, we're throwing a birthday party. We'd love for you to come be a part of it. And I didn't have anything else on the schedule or the agenda. So I'm like, I'll be there. I can't wait. And in typical Dave Clayton fashion, I got the big idea of the invitation, but I missed most of the details. So I knew when it was gonna happen and I knew where it was gonna happen, which for me, I thought was plenty. And so I remember telling my mom, my mom and dad are pumped that I got invited to a party. So they go and drop me off that Friday night. And I remember walking into this party and I don't remember exactly what I was wearing because my memory's not that sharp, but I do remember the kind of clothes that I was wearing. I was, I was wearing pants and a long sleeve t-shirt. And the reason I remember that detail is because I walk into this living room and everybody else in the house is in their swimsuit. And I realized that in that moment, I had missed a key part of the invitation. That it wasn't just a birthday party, but it was a pool party, and that everybody else had come there to swim, and here I am in pants and a long sleeve t-shirt, and you know, instead of doing what would have been just kind of the normal thing, and like running out of the house to grab my mom and say, hey, will you come bring me some shorts? You know, this is before cell phones, I couldn't just call or couldn't text her. Instead of doing the normal thing and asking her to bring me what I needed, I decided I was going to play it cool, and just tell all of my friends, my new friends that I barely knew that I didn't come to swim, but I just came to watch them swim. Now, I don't know if you've ever tried to make a good impression with people that you don't know, but telling them that you want to sit on the side of the pool and watch them as they swim for three hours is not the way to go. And so I sat there for the next three hours watching them step into the thing that I wanted to step into, but I'd missed the details of the invitation. And I learned kind of that hard lesson that if you don't understand what it is that you're being invited into, it's really hard to get all the way into it. And I think this is the place that so many of us, especially in a city like Nashville, we find ourselves in. We've gotten just enough of the invitation of Jesus to think we get it. We've gotten just enough of religion. We've gotten just enough of the gospel. We've gotten just enough of the big idea. But if, if we're not careful, we'll find ourselves showing up to the party, not dressed for the party, sitting on the side, watching everybody else swim. And I don't know what your story is. I don't know if you're a lifelong follower of Jesus or if you're just figuring this out. But I'm convinced that in the core of every human being is the desire to get in the water, that you were made to get all the way in. And that the goal of this whole thing is not to just show up week in and week out and sit in the chairs and sing the songs and hear the sermon, but the goal of this is to step all the way in to the radical invitation of Jesus on your life right here and right now. And so over the next couple of weeks, as we get ready to kind of step into the fall together, I want to make sure that we as a church have our minds and our hearts and our lives around what it is that Jesus is actually inviting us into because if we're not careful, we'll spend our whole journey with Jesus sitting on the side instead of actually getting in to the water. 
You get to Mark chapter to one, and Jesus, at this point in his life, he's about 30 years old. And he spends the first 30 years of his life in relative obscurity, which just reminds us over and over that God's timetable is never our timetable. And Jesus spends these first 30 years kind of in the hidden places of his life, but when he's 30 years old, he, he steps onto the stage of his world ministry, his public ministry, and it begins with him being baptized by his cousin, a guy named John the Baptizer, out in the wilderness, Jesus is baptized, and maybe you remember the story. As he's baptized, it says that the heavens are parted, that the audible voice of God the Father speaks out loud, this is my beloved son, whom I love, I'm proud of him. And I love that moment in Jesus' life. He hasn't done anything yet, at least by the world's standards. He hasn't healed a sick person, he hasn't raised anyone from the dead, he hasn't died on a cross, and yet God the Father is reminding him that his identity is anchored in who he is and not just what he's come to do. So God speaks his word of identity over him and then instantly it says the spirit of God is poured out on Jesus' life and he's ushered into the wilderness where for the next 40 days he's tempted by the enemy but he stands strong. And so this portion of the story that we come to in Mark chapter one, Jesus is like the good cowboy that's rolling back into town after he's just defeated the bad guy. He's, he's rolling into town and he's getting ready to give his very first sermon. And this is what he says. Look at verse 14 uh, with me in Mark chapter one. It says, after John, the one that had baptized him, was put in prison, it says, Jesus went into Galilee proclaiming the good news of God. And this is the good news. He says, the time has come. The kingdom of God has come near Repent and believe the good news. Jesus went into Galilee proclaiming the good news of God. The time has come. The kingdom of God has come near. Repent and believe the good news. So I love this moment Mark says here. Jesus has just come in to his public ministry. He's been reminded of his identity. He's been filled with the spirit of God. He's just defeated the enemy in the wilderness. And the first words out of Jesus' mouth, he says, hey, I am here to declare unbelievably good news. And I don't know when the last time you, you thought about that is, but that the message of Jesus' ministry and the message of your ministry is a message marked by good news. Jesus shows up and he says, I'm here to, to proclaim something. I'm here to declare something that is infinitely good. Now, I don't know what you think of when you hear the word good, but all of us, on, on some level, we understand that there are levels of goodness, right? Like there are things that are comparatively good, they're good because of that which they're compared against. And then there are things that are supremely good just because in their own right, not based upon being compared to something lesser, they're just good in their own right. And we all understand that difference. I remember kind of understanding comparative goodness when I was in college. So I remember uh, moving into the dorm and some of you are getting ready to start your college experience. I remember moving into the dorm and at first it's so exciting and invigorating to live with all these dudes in a small building. You can do whatever you want, just kind of this crazy moment. And then uh, to think, hey, I've got this little card. I can walk into the cafeteria and eat whatever I want to eat, whenever I want to eat it, as much as I want to eat. And for about three days, that seems awesome. And then you start getting tired of the cafeteria food. Raise your hand if you remember being in college and you remember just the exhaustion of eating in the cafeteria. You know, just, just going in, oh man, I'm so tired of it. And so then I remember in that season of life, people would invite us to come over to their house to eat. And the truth is, it didn't matter what they asked us to come over to eat because I was comparing it to the food that I ate every day in the cafeteria. And whatever I ate was comparatively better. I remember when some of my first friends, they got a house and they moved off campus. 
And it was just this trash hole of a house. Maybe you remember these kind of college guy houses, like 91 guys living in an 1,100 square feet. And they're just packed in there. And I remember they moved into this house and we're like, yes, you've made it. We've got some friends that are men. And we were excited that we're, we're grownups. And they had this house and this house didn't have a dishwasher. And instead of doing what grownups do and washing their dishes in the sink, they would stack their dishes up in the bathroom and they would take turns when they had showers just washing their dishes in the shower. Isn't that the grossest, like most bro college thing ever? There's some college guy in here going, that's a great idea. Like, like <laughs> I should do that. I remember we'd go over to their house and these dishes would be stacked on the toilet in the sink. Just so gross, so gross. Can't think about it too much, but I, I remember they, they moved in and they're like, hey, we're gonna cook dinner for you. And it's like, yes, we can come over, we're gonna eat meal. And they bought one of those Stouffer's frozen lasagna. Like, give me a shout if you like some of that frozen lasagna. Like they, they had it and it, they looked on the back of the box, cook it for two hours, but that's a lie. It never takes two hours because it's frozen. It takes like nine hours. And they put it in the oven and we're all there waiting for this thing to cook and it comes out and it's not ready. And so I remember sitting down at this table in the middle of the lasagna, frozen solid, but the edges are kind of partially cooked. And for the next hour, we just ate like kings around the edges of that lasagna. And I remember thinking, this is such a good meal, why? Because it was being compared against lesser meals. And I, I love this because we know this to be true. Like we do this with our, uh, we do this with invitations on a Friday night. Somebody will invite you to go out and do something. You're like, that sounds fun. That sounds better than being alone. But then somebody else will invite you out and you're like, that sounds better than this other invitation. And we understand comparative goodness but there's a type of goodness that goes beyond comparison. It's just supremely good. I remember when my wife graduated with her graduate degree and my in-laws took us out, honestly, to maybe to the nicest dinner I've ever eaten at this point in my life. I remember walking into that restaurant that I couldn't afford to be in. I walked in in my American Eagle khakis and immediately I'm like, I'm out of place. And sitting down and just eating this incredible meal. And it was a meal that was good, not because of what it was compared to. It was a meal that was just good because it's good. And I love this, Jesus shows up and he says, hey, I'm coming proclaiming the good news. And it's not just good news, that's comparatively good news. This is where the gospel always starts. It's like, do you want eternal damnation and separation from all that is good or do you want life and joy? And you're like, well, comparing the two, I'll take joy. For all of us, the gospel starts as comparatively good news. Hey, do you wanna be brokenhearted or do you wanna be put back together by God? Well, I wanna be put back together by God. And the gospel always starts there, but the gospel can't stay there because the gospel is not just good news in the dark. The gospel is good news in the light. It's not just hope for those who are being crushed by life. It's hope for those that are crushing life. And I think sometimes in a place like Nashville, we have unintentionally reduced the invitation of Jesus to an invitation that is comparatively good. We go, man, this is good as long as I've, as long as I've got nothing else going on. And Jesus says, no, I want you to see what I'm inviting you into. He says, what I'm inviting you into is something so good, it's worth abandoning all other lesser goods for. He says, this thing, this way of life, it's good. It's what he says in verse 14. He says, I've come proclaiming the good news of God. He says, this is the good news. Look back at verse 15. He says, the time has come. The time has come. I don't know if you underline your Bibles, but you need to underline that phrase, the time has come. It's an important phrase. You know, in the, in the original language, uh, when the New Testament was written, there were two words that were typically used to talk about time. One was the word chronos, which we get our word chronology from. 
It was this way of understanding time as this linear thing. You have Monday, you have Tuesday, you have Wednesday, and so on. You have nine o'clock, 10 o'clock, 11 o'clock. You see life in this kind of linear um, uh, format when it comes to time. That's the word chronos. But the word that Jesus uses here is not the word chronos. It's, it's the word kairos. And it's not about time in a linear fashion. It's literally uh, about a moment in time that you have to choose whether or not you seize. I believe if Jesus was speaking in English, he would have said it like this. He says, I'm here proclaiming supremely good news, and that is that God is giving you a unique opportunity right here and right now. Don't miss it. He says, the time has come. He says, God has opened a door. Don't miss this thing that's right in front of you. It's like when you're sitting up late at night and those infomercials come on. And there's a reason you watch those things late at night because you never buy that stuff at two o'clock in the afternoon, but you're sitting there at one o'clock in the morning and a guy's trying to sell you a pair of scissors that cuts pennies and you're like, yeah, I may need that. This sounds like a good idea. And you know the way the infomercial works, right? Is they don't just try to sell you on the product, they're trying to sell you on the fact that this opportunity to get the product is passing. And they'll sell you the product and they'll say, hey, it's a limited time offer. If you buy these scissors that can cut these pennies in half in the next 10 minutes, we'll throw in a free karate suit or a free microwave or whatever it is. And you're like, man, I need both of those things. So I better purchase it now. It's a limited time. It's an offer. And you've got to hear this. Please like tune me in on this. Jesus shows up. He says, I'm standing before you with an invitation that is supremely good. Not because it's compared against something less. It's good on its own standing. But your ability to step into this invitation has its limits. And its limits is the framework of your lifetime. Now look out in, in this room and a lot of us are maybe in the first half of our life. And you hear that word from Jesus and you go, oh, okay, I've got some time. I was thinking about a friend of mine recently, one of her friends who's 38 years old, dropped dead of a heart attack three weeks ago. And she was telling us about that and I'm, I'm 37. And it was just like one of those moments where it just hit me. I went, man, nobody expects that. And I, I don't say that in a way to like fear monger you, or, but, but for you to go, I want you to notice what Jesus is pointing out. Jesus is pointing out what all of us know to be inherently true, but we run away from all the time, and that is that your life is a limited commodity. And this whole idea that we'll get around to the more important things someday is a farce that leads most of us down the wrong direction. I love this. Jesus shows up. And he says, I'm here with supremely good news, and this good news it's coming to you in this moment of time. There is an open door. There is an opportunity that will only be here as long as you're alive. And he says, and this is what it is. Look back at it. He says, the time has come. The kingdom of God has come near to you. Or some of your translations say, the kingdom of God is at hand. It's so close. You can reach out and you can touch it. Jesus says, here's the good news that I'm proclaiming is that God has given you an opportunity right here and right now to step through this portal of faith and to begin living in a world that's within a world. Now, now this is really trippy stuff, I know, but I want you to really, I want you to take in what Jesus is inviting you to because Jesus does not show up and say, hey, I wanna invite you to get out of one religion and get into a different religion. That's not the invitation. Jesus does not show up and say, hey, I want you to white knuckle your morality into a new way of life. That's not the invitation. 
Jesus says, here's the invitation. God is meeting you where, he, where you are. He is opening a door so that you can step into a world within the world that you're currently living in, right here and right now. I don't know if you ever read the Chronicles of Narnia or if you watch the movies, but The Lion and the Witch of the Wardrobe is one of my favorite stories ever written. And I love that moment because the kids in that story, they find this old wardrobe in the back of this old mansion. And if you remember the story, they step through that wardrobe and they find themselves living in a new world within the world. And it's here in this, this new world that it operates by different structures, different thoughts, different leaderships, different power, different abilities. And they begin to learn what it means to live in this world within the world. And Jesus shows up and he says, what I'm inviting you into, I'm inviting you to live in a world within the world that you're currently operating in. He says, in this world, it's called the kingdom of God. Now, for us, this idea of kingdom is a really foreign concept because we live in a democracy and kingdoms and democracies are almost nothing alike, right? I want you to think about what a kingdom is. I'll just try to give you my simple working definition of what a kingdom is. A kingdom is a group of people living in a certain place under the power, the priorities, the provision and the protection of a king. A kingdom is a group of people living in a certain place under the power and the priorities and the provision and the protection of a king. See, in a kingdom, you don't vote your king into power. You don't impeach your king out of power. That's not the way kingdoms work. There's no eight-year term limits on a king. And so who you have as a king really matters because that king who is over that group of people in that certain place, that king gets to set the priorities, gets to set the realms of power, gets to decide how he will provide and protect for the people that he's ruling over. And if you had a good king, that was really good news. If you had a bad king, it was supremely bad news. And Jesus shows up, he says, I'm here with supremely good news. And that is that in the middle of this life that you're in right here and right now, God is opening a portal and you can step into a new world that is ruled by King Jesus. That's the invitation. He says, and this invitation into the kingdom of God that's so close you can touch it, it's not far off. It's not just for after you die. He says, it's right here and right now. He says, this kingdom involves you being connected with a body of people, with a group of people. It's a communal kingdom. And think about this in our neighborhood. We moved into a new neighborhood two years ago and God has just placed all of these people in our neighborhood who are living for the kingdom of God. And every night we'll see these people out and we're doing life together. And I'm being reminded that the invitation to this kingdom party it's not just an invitation for you to listen to sermon podcasts on your own and to white knuckle your faith on your own. It's the invitation to live in community with a group of people under the reign of King Jesus. It's an invitation into a people, but it's not just an invitation into a people, it's an invitation into a place. I mean, I don't know if you've thought much about how you ended up in Nashville. But I go, do you ever ask yourself the question, okay, God, what does it look like for the kingdom of God to come to life in the city of Nashville? And that God has put you here in this place, in your workplace, on your campuses, in your homes, in your neighborhoods, among your friends. He's put you here with these people in this place so that the kingdom of God would be seen. He says the kingdom of God is near. You can step in with these people in this place to live under the power of King Jesus. I don't know if you've thought about this in the gospels, but I love this. Everywhere Jesus goes, he knows in his mind that he's the king. And he does what kings do, he takes charge. 
And so when he sees a sick person, he goes, man, there's no sick people in the kingdom of God. Be healed. When he sees a dead person, he says, there's no dead people in the kingdom of God. Be raised. When he sees a sinner, he goes, there's no sinners in the kingdom of God. Be forgiven. And everywhere that Jesus went, he demonstrated the power of a king to make broken things whole, to make old things new, to make wrong things right. It's what King Jesus does. He looks at these people in this place. He invites them to live under his power. He invites them to live under his priorities. You remember the way he teaches us to pray? He says, our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on what? Come on, on, on earth as it is in heaven. And I go, would Jesus ever command us to pray a prayer that he doesn't want to answer? He's not that kind of God. He says, this is what I want you to pray. is that the kingdom would come to earth as it is in heaven, that God's will and God's ways would come right here. In other words, Jesus says, I want you to give your life to the priorities of this agenda, this kingdom. It's with these people in this place under his power with his priorities. It's a kingdom that's marked by his protection. Jesus says, I'm the king of this kingdom and you don't have to worry about what's gonna come your way because I'm the one in charge of protecting you. That's what kings did, they protected the people. Uh, my wife, Sydney, she's been reading the, the book, The Hiding Place, this week. Uh, it's the story of Corey Ten Boom. I don't know if you've read that book. It's an amazing book. You should read it. And every night, I've been sitting in bed, and she just keeps reading me these excerpts from that book. And she read me this excerpt this week uh, about how Corey and one of her sisters made this commitment in the concentration camps that they were placed in, that no matter what, they would not break the laws of God because they did not believe it was up to them to protect themselves in the face of such fear. So there they are in the concentration camp and one of their simple kind of mantras for their life in the concentration camp was no matter what, we're gonna tell the truth because Jesus has asked us to tell the truth. And they decided they would tell the truth even if it would cost them greatly because they understood that even within that concentration camp, they were living in a kingdom under the protection of King Jesus. It's an amazing story you gotta read. Jesus says, I'm inviting you in to this place with these people under my power under my priorities, under my protection, under my provision. That it's the king's job to give the daily bread when we live into the daily marching orders. And that it's not your job. It's not your job to get it all figured out and all fixed up, but to go, man, hey, Jesus, we wanna live in your ways. Like right here, and this is, this is the message. Jesus does not show up and say, hey, I'm here with good news. You can get out of the synagogue and you can move into a slightly less boring version of church. The good news is not to move from one religion to another. It's not to go from just being bad to trying to be more moral. Jesus says, no, good news. God is opening a door for you to begin, begin living right here and right now, the heavenly life. If you don't hear me say anything else, hear me say this this morning. It's good news, not because of what we get. It's good news because of who we get. And who we get is King Jesus. And Jesus shows up, he says, I'm here with supremely good news that the door's open for you to step in to this kingdom right here and right now. And I want you to come all the way in. The water's warm. Don't sit on the edge while everybody else swims. I want you to imagine one of your favorite celebrities, whoever it is, maybe it's Justin Timberlake or LeBron James or Lionel Richie. I don't know like who's kind of your person, but I want you to imagine who your favorite celebrity is and they've invited you over to their house to hang out. 
They've invited you over to a party, and, and you know that if your favorite celebrity invites you to a party at their house, the goal of that is you want to get to know the person that you admire. Can you imagine how absurd it would be if, if you got invited by whoever it is that you admired this party, and you show up at their house, and you stay in the front yard the whole time? Or maybe you don't stay in the front yard, maybe you venture into the foyer, but you spend your whole time right there where all the coats are hanging and you never get into the living room to be with the presence of the one that you wanted to be with. I go, guys, the American church, the Nashvillean church, Ethos church is filled with people that have only accepted the invitation and they've only gone as far as the front yard. And Jesus is saying, I'm inviting you into I'm inviting you in to, to come all the way in, to press all the way through, to get all the way into the rich stuff, to live right here and right now under the goodness of King Jesus in every realm of your life. And the moment you begin to do that, all the good stuff begins to come to the surface. But I love this because Jesus doesn't stop with the invitation. He says, I wanna, I wanna tell you how to get into the invitations. It's not just how you get in, it's how you keep getting in. And he keeps going, look back at verse 15. It says, the time has come, the kingdom of God has come near. Repent and believe the good news. Repent and believe the good news. Uh, these two words, repentance and belief, they're kind of confusing in our English language, but uh, literally the tense of them in the, in the original language is not about this one-time decision. Jesus here isn't just talking about conversion. Jesus is talking about this ongoing work, this ongoing opportunity. I believe in English, he'd say it like this. Uh, the kingdom of God has come near, so commit your life to the continual act of repentance and the continual act of belief. In other words, Jesus says, if you wanna get all the way into the good stuff, he says, you've gotta make the commitment to keep, keep, keep repenting and believing. Now, this word repenting has become religious for us. But, but it literally just means to change your mind, to change the way that you think. You have to, to shift your, your point of view. And Jesus looks out at us, he says, hey, listen, it's so hard in the middle of this physical world with all of our hardship, with all of our priorities, with all of our suffering, it's hard in this physical world to really step into this invisible world right here and right now. He says the way that that happens is you keep coming to Jesus and you let Jesus change the way you think about everything. You let Jesus change the way that you think about sexuality. You let Jesus change the way you think about finances. You let Jesus change the way you think about your work and your time. You let Jesus think, uh, change the way you think about your morality and your worship, all of it. But this is a relational invitation. He says you come into the party and you let him do the work of changing the way you think, of bringing you to this place of repentance over and over and over. I remember learning this early on in marriage. Uh, when we first got married, Sydney and I both had jobs. We didn't have any kids. And even though our jobs didn't pay much, we didn't have much responsibility. So we felt like we were rich. Two jobs, no responsibility, a cheap rental house. We can do whatever we wanted to do. And so, uh, you know, we'd, we'd come home at night from long days of work and we were hungry. And it's like, do we want to cook tonight? It's like, no, we don't have time. Let's just go out to eat again. And we could just kind of eat out every night if we wanted to. It didn't really matter you know, we weren't like dining like fancy, but you know, we could eat out and, and this is kind of the way that we lived. But all of a sudden, we started having kids and Sydney quit her job. And so now we're down to one income and we have three kids. And, and all of a sudden we go, man, we can't afford to do that anymore. And so we realized if we were gonna stay in the confines of this thing that we call a budget, 
that we're going to have to repent. We're going to have to change our way of thinking about almost everything. We're going to have to change our way of thinking about when it came to food, when it came to entertainment, that we'd have to make some plans ahead of time. Something had to shift in us if we were going to step into this new way of life. And I love this. Jesus says, I'm here with an opportunity. It's an open door. But you're not going to enter through that open door with your old way of thinking. He says, I want to deal with that. He says, it's the ongoing work of repentance. But it's not just the ongoing work of repentance. He says, it's also the ongoing work of belief. And this is confusing because if kind of from our standpoint, you hear this word belief and you think about an intellectual pursuit here. But Jesus is not saying, hey, the way you enter into the good life is you just check off all the right answers on the test. That's not, that's not what he's saying here. Even the devil believes that Jesus is the son of God. Even the devil believes that Jesus was raised from the dead. Even the devil believes that he came to heal uh, the, the sins of humanity. The devil believes all of those things. But the devil is not gonna spend life in eternity with Jesus. Why? Because there's one thing of having had knowledge and another thing of submitting your life in trust to that knowledge that you have. And this word belief, it's not just about changing your mind. It's about changing the place where you put your trust. It's about shifting the structure that holds the weight of your life. Earlier this summer, when my friend Trey and I were building a treehouse for our boys, you know, that thing is not up to codes, I promise you. We build this treehouse, we're eyeballing it, we're trying to figure out if this thing's gonna work. And so before my kids had gotten home from school, we're like, we've got to test this thing out. So we climb up in the treehouse and we're holding onto the trunk of this tree and we're like shaking it and jumping. And then there's this moment where Trey looks at me and says, Dave, if you're ever going to be comfortable with your kids on this, we've just got to walk out to the end of this and just jump. I'm like, oh man, I built this thing. I don't trust that, you know? And so I walk out to the end of this treehouse, this platform, we just start jumping on the edge. And I go, that's the moment when belief set in. That's the moment. That's the moment where something shifted from our head into our heart and we went, this thing can hold us. Jesus says, if you wanna go all the way into the kingdom, you have to have a shift of your mind, repentance. He says, but then you have to fundamentally start shifting the place where your trust is resting. You have to believe. You have to, you have to trust that Jesus is good. You have to trust that Jesus has atoned for your sin. You have to trust that Jesus will provide for your needs. You have to trust that the ways of Jesus are right, even in a culture that doesn't honor them. He says, you have to trust. And he says, and when you make the commitment to keep repenting and to keep believing, all of a sudden your vision of the kingdom gets clearer. He says, right here and right now, you start living into it. And I, go, I don't know about you, but like I think about my life and I go, man, the thing I want more than anything is to not just show up at the kingdom party, but to show up at the kingdom party ready to swim, to get all the way into the water, and so often I've missed out on that. I've missed out on it for so many reasons. There's times I've missed out on it because of my pride. Like, can we just admit that it's no fun to admit that you need anybody? And the reason a lot of us struggle to come to Jesus as the king of all things is because we wanna be the king of all things. And there's been seasons I haven't been able to go through the door because my own pride has kept me from going through the door. Maybe for you it's not pride. Maybe for some of you, it's just the comfort of being exactly where you are. Some of you are sitting here right now and you're going, man, life is not working for me. And you know it's not working for you. But sometimes, isn't it amazing how comfortable we grow even in the middle of things that are broken? And I go, man, we'd rather stay where we are 
than face the uncertainty and the uncomfort of moving into something that we don't yet know. And there's been seasons where I have failed to enter through the kingdom door because the, the area of my life where Jesus was inviting me to change, I felt more comfortable staying exactly where I was. Sometimes it's pride, sometimes it's comfort, sometimes it's religion. You know, this is the thing that religion offers that the kingdom of God does not, not offer. Religion promises you that if you do the, the few right things that you can guarantee that God will respond the way that you want him to. Religion says if you pray this way, then God responds this way. If you do these things on Sunday, then God responds this way. If you give this way, serve this way, that's what religion promises. But the kingdom of God promises you something totally different. The kingdom of God says you're invited into a world where you're not in charge anymore. Jesus is in charge and he's wild, he's untamable, and he's wonderfully good. And the invitation of the kingdom and the invitation of religion are worlds apart. One says you do these things to get God to do what you want him to do. And the other says you come all the way in and then God gets you to do what he wants you to do, and it's good. It's totally different. Sometimes it's pride, sometimes it's comfort, sometimes it's religion. I think for me in this most recent season, the thing that's kept me out of the kingdom most often is just the numbing of my own mind. And we could talk about this for days, but we live in a culture where the enemy is working so hard to keep you from thinking about anything that matters. We spend all of our time scrolling through somebody else's life, looking at somebody else's feed, listening to another podcast, another song, reading another news article, watching another Netflix series, whatever it is, and we so rarely stop to just ask God the important questions. And I go, when's the last time you just sat down and went, okay, Jesus, am I in good standing with you? Okay, Jesus, am I running in the kingdom? Okay, Jesus, are there any areas of my life that are keeping me from greater joy with you? See, a lot of times we never get around to the questions because our minds have just been so numb. And Jesus says, here I am, I'm proclaiming good news. Not just comparatively good news, I'm, I'm, I'm here with supremely good news. And the good news is this, that God is giving you an opportunity right here and right now to step all the way into the kingdom. And it's not a one-time choice, it's this continual commitment to keep repenting and to keep trusting and it's there you keep finding the joy. Okay, so here we are this morning, August 12th, 2018, downtown Nashville. And I just wanna ask you, have you come all the way into the kingdom? Is there anything that's keeping you from coming into the kingdom? Are there any behaviors, are there any mindsets, are there any choices that are keeping you from entering in through the doorway that Jesus is inviting into? Some of you are in the kingdom but you're just on the front yard of the kingdom and you're not all the way into the living room of the kingdom and Jesus said, let's keep going. Let's keep going. And I just wanna ask you this morning, where is the spirit of God inviting you to shift your way of thinking and to shift your place of trusting so you can come into friendship with King Jesus? And I mean, something changes in the church when we begin to see the invitation and we begin to swim with the Lord. Let me pray over us we get ready to take communion and worship. God, I just thank you. I thank you for these men and these women and these kids. God, more than anything, I thank you for the invitation that you've put before us. I thank you for the opportunity, God, to be all the way into the kingdom. And I just ask this morning as we break the bread, as we take the cup, as we worship that God, we'd come all the way in to this deeper awareness of what is keeping us from going further into the kingdom. 
And that God, like the man that found the treasure in the field and then sold everything he had to buy the field, would we be the kinds of men and women and children that recognize the goodness of the invitation? Would we abandon all lesser goods and come into the goodness that you have before us? And God, may we be a group of people that are living together in community, like legitimate community, that are operating under the power and the provision and the priorities and the protection of you, King Jesus. God, would you help us to, to see that clearly uh, in this moment as we break the bread? I love in the scriptures, when they would take communion, it says their eyes are open and they saw you, Jesus. And this morning, as we take communion in groups, would you, would you reveal yourself to us? Would you speak to our hearts? And would you give us the courage to lay some things down and to keep walking in the kingdom? It's in the name of Jesus that I pray and give thanks. Amen.